Welcome, my friends. Welcome to my world. I'm your host, Kevin Rutherford. It is Monday, May 31st. It is time for the Power Hour. We're going to bring in the team from Pittsburgh Power. Line up your calls right now. The phones will get busy. If you have a question about anything that has to do with maintenance, engines, performance, fuel mileage, modifications, upgrades, troubleshooting, oil samples, you name it, we'll talk about it. All you have to do is pick up the phone and join us. That number, 855-950-3835. Jump in and join us right now. I promise you'll get a line. We'll get to your calls here in just a couple minutes. Um, Before we get started on the power hour, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this, but something I've talked about a little bit in the past and something we should definitely pay attention to, the food supply. I'm talking about worldwide right now. We know that uh, the grain supply is way down. Not that we eat grains, but I certainly don't. But a lot of people do. And those numbers are way down because Russia and Ukraine both supply a lot of grain. Russia supplies a lot of fertilizer. But on top of that, I've talked about the fires at these food facilities. The numbers are way up on that. The other thing that seems to be up, I'm going to go do a little digging, but it seems like I'm reading an awful lot of these um, news pieces on contaminated food being recalled seeing it seems like more of that than normal there was uh you know it's bad enough when we have to deal with things like e coli and something that will make you uh, physically sick for a while some food contamination could certainly kill you this latest round was strawberries and they believe it's responsible for cases of hepatitis a that's uh bad news very very bad for your liver So we're going to keep an eye on that food supply and the contamination issue. I'm going to go see if this is more than normal. It seems like over the last couple of years, these numbers have been going up. But just recently, it seems like I've been reading a lot of that. The other thing that's going to cause a problem, I guess right now, we should be harvesting winter wheat. But our crop is about 25% down this year. That's significant. Kansas got a drought and... North Dakota got too much rain. So it looks like uh, our grain supply from the winter wheat is down as well. So I'll keep an eye on that. We are going to talk to the team from Pittsburgh Power, and it looks like, Bruce, you're up first. Welcome back. Well, thank you, Kevin. As always, it's our pleasure. And I'm driving right now, but in about eight or ten minutes, I'll be on my landline. Got it. Um, I wanted to mention John Newby, the C-16 cat in the long wheelbase 379 that does some heavy haul. Uh, he pulls a walking floor trailer. He's a total of eight axles, about 105,000 pounds. And he finally got our shorty muffler on, along with the manifold turbo damper and balancer and some other things. When he first called me, he was at 4.5. He hit. 5.99 last week out and he has a lot of idling time because he has to run his pump to work the walking floor trailer so we're pretty happy 
Yeah, that's a significant increase. That's, uh, you know, it's fun when you do all that stuff at once. Yep. Yeah, and it was kind of done in stages. The manifold and turbo were first and things. And so, yeah, we also, he's now more aware of his turbo boost gauge. Good. Next thing is I had an email this morning on a big cam. The guy wants to know. Is the camshaft in a 300 and a 315 the same? And the answer is no. The 315 is an 838 CPL, and the 350, the sister to that, which is in my Kenworth that you drove, is an 840 CPL. They have a different camshaft from all the other big cam Cummins engines. So I'm saying this because... People are still mismatching a lot of parts, and you can't do that. If you're buying a big cam or rebuilding a big cam, please call Pete or myself. If you can't get either one of us, Brian Moan, our shop foreman, we will get you straight on what parts you need and what timing and what horsepower the engines are capable of. Got it. And right. that's, what I, that's what I have. All right. So uh, we will, I'm going to leave you on that line and um, we'll come back to you in a bit. We're going to bring on, I'm assuming we've got uh, Pete and Leroy on this line. We're here. Yes, sir. There you are. All right. Who wants to go first today? I'll go. All right. I'm better looking. There you go. So to tie into what you were saying about the, you know, the food being an issue to make matters worse, we have the uh, right to repair that's been going on with John Deere and not letting anyone else work on their equipment. And there was just an article on my phone about a farmer that needs his AC fixed. And he's in Missouri, so it's going to get hot. And the shop won't work on him, on his equipment. Um, because he, they don't like them. And he complains because they don't do good work. And it's the only shop within 80 miles of his farm. And the other option is to disassemble the tractor, load it up, and take it 80 miles away to another shop. So he filed a suit with the FTC on their right to repair laws that are in effect. And it's, again, making something harder for someone that's already having a tough time making a living. I mean, farming is not an easy task. So many variables involved. Yeah. And the FTC is questioning John Deere and John Deere is getting the SEC involved so they don't have to answer these questions. And it's not even like he could even go to a small shop because no one has the tools or the software right. to look at. It. So he's literally stuck dealing with this. Yeah. And that's a concern with, is this going to be more of a problem? I mean, Cummins and Cat and Detroit's really good with that not being a problem. Um, I know years ago we had a Mercedes Benz in here as a, a good customer that said, hey, can you do me a favor and just change this injector? I have one. We didn't have the tool to either remove or install the injector. I don't remember which one it was, but um, we weren't able to buy it because we're not a, a dealer. They basically said you, you, you can't buy this tool that you need. So 
Unfortunately, we were able to borrow one because we had the truck in the shop and it was disabled. But that was the last time we brought a Mercedes in the shop for that reason. Yeah. So you really limit. You know, if you have a Detroit or like your cat, you could find a dealership, you know, not only a cat dealership or someone that's a cat dealership, but so many shops that can work on it. Right. Versus <clears throat> you know, like a Mercedes, which you don't see anymore. You know, they're not in trucks like they were, but that, that's going to be coming more and more of a problem, I think. Well, you know, even, even the MX well, engine, yeah. which is, you know, I mean, it, we want to say it's a new engine, but it's not that new. We've had it over here for many years now, but it's hard to work on. Nobody knows anything about it. Now International's bringing out another engine. So the, these proprietary engines are, they definitely create problems. And then when you need proprietary tools and software and you can't get into certain things to work on them, you know, when, when we look at the supply chain issues we're having and food issues, the last thing we want to do is hold up trucks and farm equipment over, you know, stupid parts and policies. Oh, for sure. For sure. And he has, like he said, the problem is that it's, it, besides being hot, it is unbearable in the cab because it's all glass. Yeah. So besides being 85 outside, it's sunny and you're literally baking inside the cab oh. without AC. Yeah. That's awful. That almost explains why people are going back to you know the old old truck. Why we're so busy with big cams. You know, you can get parts, um, tools. A lot of people can work on them, and you're not stuck going to a shop that you're at their mercy to get you in. Yeah, you know, it'd be interesting to know if you take a truck um, from say the mid '80s you know, with a mechanical engine and you were to compare it to a new truck coming off the line right now, one number I'd be interested in, how many parts, how many individual parts are in those two trucks? Yeah, that would be interesting. And then not even the parts and the sensors, but how many miles of wiring do you have in that new truck? Right. So now when you... Yeah, when you start talking about part shortages being a problem, the more parts you have on a truck, the more likely it is you're going to have a problem with a part shortage. And these new trucks have an awful lot of parts. I bet the number isn't even close. Yeah, that'd be interesting to find out that number. Look at sensors alone. Exactly. Yeah. Huh. All right. And, and you were talking about the, uh, in Ukraine, um, with the wheat, um, they're also, they make a lot of wiring harnesses. Do they really? And that, that's become a problem. A lot of wiring harnesses for automo- automobiles and trucks come out of the Ukraine. Huh. Well, that could be a problem. So another issue going on there. Yeah, none of the issues seem to be getting any better. Not at all. So that's all I have, Kevin. All right. Leroy, what's up this week? Not a whole lot going on in the shop. Um, Pretty typical diagnostic stuff. Nothing crazy interesting. I've been spending most of my time uh, on my DD programs and the tunes and developing them, making them better. I've been doing an excruciating amount of testing. 
large portion of it, you know, is good. A lot of it is bad, but you know, you kind of make a change, hope for <laughs> to see something. You don't see anything. So back to the drawing board, but, uh, they keep getting better, but yeah, I've been investing a lot of time lately into that. Good. Good. All right. Well, we've got some calls coming in. If you want to join us, pick up the phone and dial now, 855-950-3835. We're going to get to those calls. Hey, Bruce, uh, I did some numbers on on that truck going from four and a half miles to the gallon to what looks like about 5.9. You know, one of the things I've heard over the years, over and over and over, when you're in one of these operations, heavy haul specialized cars, where the trucks just get horrible fuel economy. Most people, because their fuel economy is so bad, they don't focus on it at all. And they'll say, well, why should I bother? It's so bad. Well, here's why you bother. The lower your fuel economy is, the more money any gain you create is going to save you that it's a percentage thing. So when you're at 4.5, you are the person who should be the most focused on this because every gain is going to be so big. Here's, here's the difference in money. So the difference between getting four and a half miles to the gallon or getting 5.9 with today's fuel price. And I only used a hundred thousand miles a year, which is fairly low. The difference in cost is $29,500, That would take me on a nice vacation to Hawaii for a month. Yeah. Yeah. That's incredible. And again, people, when they're down in one of those operations where they can't get good fuel economy, they just give up and they don't try anything. And that's when the biggest opportunity is there. 30,000. That's just incredible. Yep. And keep in mind, that's a rib-sided trailer. It's eight axles, uh, walking floor. So he's basically 5.99, and then uh, he burns through several gallons of fuel, and it's pumping off. So he's up a little over six. Wow. That's good. Yeah. 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 Huge savings. All right, uh, we are, we're going to get to the phones. Let's go to Illinois to get started. Chris, welcome to the program. Yeah, Kevin, uh, I got two things. One is a comment, one is a question. Um, Number one, there was another uh, fire in a Minnesota uh, egg plant where they're predicting thousands of chickens have died, so... The whole chicken shortage, I'm guessing, is going to get a little worse on that aspect. Yeah, I haven't seen that um, one and yet. I'll have to go check that out. Yeah, I think that just happened on the 29th. Um, and then my second one is, I was thinking about getting a truck and, and starting my own operation. But I don't think it'd be feasible right now with just one driver. But if I found somebody to team with and that was responsible enough that I trusted to team with, do you think it would be possible right now in this market? Well, of course it's possible. It's always possible. I mean, people are going to make money running trucks. It's going to be much, much more challenging is the way you've got to look at this. Not a matter of whether it's possible or not possible. 
Trucks are running today. They're making money. They're moving freight. That has to happen. The freight has to get moved. Somebody's going to move it. Somebody has to make money doing it or they wouldn't do it. But do you really right. want to get started? And why would it have to be a team? Well, I was kind of crunching numbers and just, just off the rough figures, um, it, it would be tight. Um, as far, I mean, I'd still be able to put money away for unforeseeables and stuff like that, but I think it'd be too, too tight for my, my comfort, I guess, in in a sense where if I had a team driver and and we're family, um, we'd be able to, um, kind of split the cost in a sense. Who's family? Me and my co-driver. Oh, you already have the co-driver? Well, I mean, he, he's, it's my father-in-law. He, he, he hasn't driven truck before, but he's talking about getting into it. Um, just because of the industry that he's in, he's just tired of being in it. Um, so he's thinking about teaming with me and then the truck would gross more and it'd be easier on the bills and, and just stuff like that. We'd be able to put more away, pay it off quicker, you know, just kind of stuff like that. Well, one, when you say we, does that mean he's going to have some ownership? Uh, not necessarily ownership, but uh, he, he's only a couple years away from retirement. So he's mostly doing it just to keep some money in his pocket to pay his bills until he retires. And then it, it's basically all going to be fine at the end of the day. So part of the problem with building a, a business model where you have to have this other person to pay the bills is what happens when they quit. Right. No, that was a question. And I, I was hoping the economy is, well, I'm, I'm hoping the economy is going to be turn around by then. If I could save enough money, I'd eventually like to get another couple trucks and get those on the road too. Well, hold, hold, hold on, hold on, hold on. Like you're already talking about multiple trucks. We don't even have the first truck yet. And you're telling me you can't figure out how to how to make money with that first truck unless it's a team operation. So what are you going to do? Well, no, I, when the driver I can quits? make money. It's I can make money. That that's not the issue. It's just making it easier in the first couple of years to really push the agenda forward. I guess if if that makes sense, make it easier on the bills and stuff like that. Well, it's only easier in one sense. It's not easier living with somebody in a truck. It's not easy finding a driver when a driver quits. So give me some numbers. What, what were the, uh, what were the numbers you came up with as far as profit? What could you generate with this? Well, I was thinking on, um, like a dollar 40 a mile on 2,500 miles. I can't remember it right off the top of my head. Um, but that's pretty much what I'm running right now for is a company driver's 2,500 miles a week. Um, so then after that, you take out your fuel and truck payment insurance. And that was all rough numbers that I've gotten from other drivers who own their own trucks. Um, and one of the guys, he's, he's pretty comparable to me. We've got like same driving record, looking same kind of truck, driving the same kind of freight, you know, that kind of stuff. So, um, I, it was, at the end of the day, I was looking at, um, after all expenses, about uh, 1500 to 2000 at the end of the week profit. 
Yeah, I just, I don't know. This is, it's not a good market. It's not a bad time to start getting ready to do this. But the idea that, and again, I would, the team operation is probably the biggest problem here. Because every time you say, say yeah. make it well, easier, well, you don't know that it's going to make it easier. It could make it a whole lot more difficult. And that was, uh, those numbers were off of uh, just me driving. So I would imagine that would double, maybe even triple, because you only have one what? truck payment and one you, insurance you, payment ho- every month. Hold on. With a team. Ho- hold on. I want you to think about something you just said. <laughs> Because your numbers worked out to about 100000 a year profit. And I, I can promise you this, on a dollar forty a mile, you're never going to make 100000 profit. I don't know where you came up with those numbers, but I can promise you, on a dollar forty a mile, you're not going to make 100000 in profit. So you'd have to go back and figure okay. out where, where those numbers okay. went wrong. But let's say that they were correct. Now you're saying just because we had another driver, you may double or even triple that profit. You think you're going to make three hundred thousand on a dollar forty a mile? Well, well, my theory is if there's only one truck payment and that's roughly two thousand dollars a month, you don't you don't make that second truck payment with off the second driver. So well, that'd but, be another but, two thousand so, in your pocket every month. But again, go back to some logic here. You you think that one truck with two drivers is going to generate three hundred thousand in profit on a dollar forty a mile? Maybe not three hundred. I well, like I said, these are all just rough numbers. Um, you know, I haven't I haven't done this myself yet to actually figure out what all the numbers are actually going to be. I've just kind of done it, you know, while driving in my head, kind of stuff like that. Just just kind of pondering back and forth on it on what the upsides and the downsides are. Well, I understand that, but you're pondering on false information. Okay. You've got to get more accurate. You, you roughed in these numbers and you really roughed in these numbers. First off on a dollar 40 a mile, if, if you're able to generate 60,000 in profit, that's a much more likely number. Okay. All right. Well, I will go back and look at those numbers again and see where I went wrong. All right. When you've got those numbers, give me a call back. We'll go over them again. Let's uh, let's go to Arizona. Joe, welcome to the program. Hey, Kevin. How you doing? Good. What's on your mind? Well, First things first, uh, you said you, I listened back to some of your shows and you said that you hadn't heard from anybody that was a lease driver in a while. Yeah, it's been a while. I was a lease driver. I bought my truck. I had a four year lease. I bought it off lease with the buyout plus a year early. Well, congratulations. And I stole the truck by the way. Good deal. Good to see somebody win in one of those. For a three-year-old truck, by the way, seventy-six thousand. And you said that you've seen three-year-old trucks going for one hundred and fifty-two thousand. Yeah, yeah. The price price was absolutely insane. Yeah, I should I should have put a for sale sign on this as soon as I bought it off lease, but um, uh, Pittsburgh did a tune on my truck. On May 3rd, I think, 
taking their yellow truck to German Shepherd, Leroy? Uh, rings a bell, yeah. Got a question for you, and I've tried calling you about this. Um, trying to figure out where to drive this truck, and especially going up hills. Because I cannot figure that out. My fuel economy is all over the place. Where, what's it at? Um, I can't, well, if I'm on the flat, I can average between 7.3 and 7.6. If I'm not watching it too closely, I can get 6.3, What RPM are you pulling on the hill right now? Oh, I'm not driving right now. Um, I mean, that, well, that's what I'm trying to figure out because I can't figure out. I, I kind of figured out the rolling heels. And on flat ground, but I just cannot figure out how to pull a heel if I should just back off and try to keep it under 15 or if I should just let it go up the heel like normal. Um, let it go up the hill. Just you, can't go, you, you, you can't pull a hill at 15 pounds. Should okay, be able to be careful. You got to get up over the hill. There is no fuel mileage. You're down to about a mile and a half to the gallon with any okay. truck going uphill. Or or we should say instead of mile and a half per gallon, we should say every minute you're burning about a mile and a half. Or you're burning okay, about gotcha. a gallon and a half. So the easier you get over the hill or the faster you get over the hill, the sooner you save your fuel going down the other side and across the level and on the rolling hill. All right, so I just need to floor it up the hill. Okay, that's what I'm no, no, doing. No, 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 no. You have a tune. I'm not saying floor it, but run it about two thirds of your power. If if it'll okay. make thirty five pound of boost, run it at twenty eight or thirty. Okay, because she, uh, Leroy got it at six, so I'm pushing between thirty seven and thirty eight if I got my foot into it. So. Right. Probably keep it right there around the 30, 32 mark. Then. Yeah, 28 to 32 and just play with it. All right. Um, also, I've switched tires. Um, I did go to a super single recently. What pressure should I be running those? Um, I'd run them at least at 130. 120, um, you can base it on the ride a little bit. If it's too stiff, you could back it off a little bit. The pressure has almost nothing to do with wear. They'll wear just fine all the way from about 80 pounds all the way to 140. So you have a big range you can run it in as far as, as wear goes. But what you're looking for, the harder the tire, the better the fuel economy. The softer the tire, the better the ride. So you just find find the All balance right. in there. Um, now, these are Yokohamas. They're not a very good rolling resistant tire, are they? I, I don't know. You'd have to look it up. Yokohama makes some really good tires. Oh, do they? Um, where can I look that up? Because I can't seem to find it online. Michelin. Just Google Michelin truck tire, and then you'll see... Uh, a link for tools, and one of them will be a fuel mileage calculator, and you can go in and play around with those. All right, and um, anything else I should be trying to? Uh, what RPM should a DD15 
see running to get the best fuel economy on the level. Wait, I, got 285, I got a 19, and it's 285 rears. Is your peak torque at 1,000? That I'm not 100% um, sure at. Yeah, it's it's pretty low. I would say maybe more like 1150 is kind of where I said it. Okay. So then 12, 1300. All right. So I'd be running about 65. 65 is at 12 and a quarter. Now you have a boost gauge? Yeah, you have a boost yeah. gauge. I got Kevin yeah, Rutherford's gauge. Okay. So look and see when you're on the where at what speed and what RPM your boost is the lowest. And if you have an exhaust, you probably don't have exhaust gas temperature. But if you had that, you compare. If the boost comes down and the exhaust temperature comes down, then you keep working at it to see how low you can get it. So right. you want to see how low you can get the boost. When, when you fall too low, it'll take more boost to keep it going because you're losing your rotating mass. All right, because I've been trying to keep it between 60 and 65. And like I said, um, 60 is like 11 and a quarter, and 65 is roughly 12 and a quarter. So tell, me the, tell me the turbo boost on the level with the wind not blowing at that. Uh, if, I, if I'm using my foot, it's probably between 7 and 8-ish. Okay. If you're you. If you're on cruise, what is it? It will bump up sometimes to like 10 to 11. Yeah. So to make it simple, use that when you're at that low, use the denominator of 25, 25 horsepower for every pound. So the difference between 7 and 11 happens to be 100 horsepower. All right. Because of cruise control. So... Okie dokie. I appreciate it. All right. Thanks. Pretend for the like call. you were trucking in the 70s with that cruise. Let's head off to BC this time. Murray, welcome to the program. Morning, gentlemen. All right. I have a 60 series. Uh, and I'm switching from local work to highway work. Um, Typically now I do my oil changes around four, four and a half months. I would say I've got 12 to 14, maybe 16,000 miles on an oil change uh, doing town work. Where, And I figure that I do that early because it's working so much harder, right? You're always shifting, your turbo's always spooling up. So that's my theory there. Switching to highway, super light loads, super light most I'd ever be is 45,000 maxed out. What should I put my oil change at intervals at? So you have a bypass filter on there yet? No, just full flow. Bypass is coming. Yeah, I mean, if you consider putting the OPS on um, and you do oil analysis, we, we could stretch that out quite far and we won't know, you know how far until you start doing some oil samples. But, well, I have oil samples for what I'm doing now, and they come out incredibly clean. So, um, so I'm thinking I'm probably changing too soon. Yep, Murray. Yeah. That's exactly right. Why are you throwing all that money away? 
because I don't know what to do in town. But well, now I'm switching out of town, and I'm well. Let's, let's. So I haven't got a frame of reference yet. Well, this is the beauty of oil analysis. Doesn't matter whether you're in town, on the highway, in the oil patch, or on the moon. The sample is the sample. If your samples were that clean in town, you could have extended those drains. I mean, that's the point of the sample. If we sample at a certain time and it's really clean, we can extend that drain. Well, and I I have kind of followed that example. The first sample I took had three months on it, and it was... They might as well not have done that. Right. And then I went to four months, and then I went to four and a half months. Got it. Um, I'm thinking I could probably even go all the way out to six, because it's still coming out. I can tell you, actually, what my last sample was. Uh, just give me, bear with me for only a moment. Um, inbox. Uh, ice oil samples. Okay, so where are we? Oh, two oh twenty-two. That's the last sample there. Okay. Uh, no, no antifreeze, no fuel, no water. Caterpillar oil sample. Viscosity at a hundred degrees Celsius. So what's that? Uh, I don't know. No, that's fine. We always do it at a hundred Celsius. Yeah. That's running right around twelve nine. Uh, viscosity at 40 degrees Celsius is running 89.6, 90.6. Uh, index is running 140, 142. Soot, last one was 93, previous at 86. Oxidation, 16 to 19. Okay. Uh, yeah, wait, sulfur, that, 23 to 26. Yeah, that's really clean. So when you start running over the road, whether you have the OPS on or not, either way, I would pull your first sample at say twenty thousand, and if it's clean, okay. pull the sample before you change the oil. Right, because if you if it's clean, then you don't have to change it. So I know a lot of people will change the oil okay. and then they'll take a sample while they're changing it. Well, that tells us some things, but it's too late. We already took the oil out. So I would check it the first time at twenty, twenty to twenty five. And then you change the oil when the sample tells you you should. Then when you get the OPS on, you're not going to change anything. You're still going to do it at 20 to 25,000 miles. It's just going to go a lot longer before you have to change the oil. But we would still do it based on the condition the sample is telling us. So what am I looking for in my oil that would trigger a change? Anything. I mean, everything we measure on there could be the reason. You might get too much soot. You might okay. get um, low base, although we could just add base. You might get um, fuel dilution. You could get uh, heavy oxidation. There's, I mean, there's a lot of things that could cause it. The sample tells us, though. I mean, you, right. the sample will tell you, you you should change this oil or not. Okay. And you can always call here. We'll tell you whether okay. you should change it or not. Okay. All right. Uh, sounds good. All right. Thanks for the call. Let's grab another Thanks, one. Guys. We're going to jump over to Minnesota this time. Dave, welcome to the program. Good morning, Kevin. And Pittsburgh boys. Um, I've got some X-15 questions. I'm 
brand new to this truck, and I've never driven an X-15, and it's baffling. I believe I've got the economy motor in this 2021 Kenworth. Hello? Yep, okay. go ahead. We're, yeah. we're listening. Okay. Uh, I've only taken it on one trip so far, and I've been watching the first page on this thing, and it's only going to 25 pounds. So I don't know if what that's going to every... Uh, it's set at 500. That's why I believe it's the X-15 economy. Yeah. Do you have any lights or any messages on your dash? Nope, nothing. Yeah, 25 is a little on the low side. Um, I wouldn't expect it to maybe make much more than that. Maybe in stock form makes about 28 to 32, somewhere in there, 30. But 25 okay, is a little on the low side. I used to the ISX motors, and they were making mid-30s. Yeah, the newer they get, the less boost that they need because of the higher compression ratio. Okay. Um and I did a little research, or tried to do some research on these motors. Is there anything, if this is the economy motor, is there anything that I can do to make it stronger? Uh, yeah, we can uh, certainly tune it. Um, we have good results with those. Uh, I wouldn't set it up where it was dangerous, but we could definitely maybe probably get like five and a quarter, 550 to the wheels. Um, somewhere okay. around 15 to 1,900 foot-pounds. Uh, at the wheels as well. That makes for a strong truck, but not one that you have to worry about. Uh, we have right. Yeah, we, good mileage. we do heavy haul, and I was doing, I just had a small trailer with a small load grossing about 95,000. It's like, oh, this isn't going to work. Not, not with a 15 axle. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that was the only thing I really noticed on this. I'm watching the boost gauge trying to pull hills with it and at 92,000 or whatever it was. It was like, oh boy, we're not going to have fun with a 13 axle at 250. No, yeah, it's going to be a little underpowered. And you, you kind of have to watch the, the boost gauge in those because it's not always telling, uh, especially with EGR and the VGT turbo. Uh, it, it will command as much back pressure as it needs to drive EGR. That's kind of its main focus. And then... Okay in there is actually getting the boost that it needs. So if you see like, you know, 15 pounds of boost or 10 pounds of boost on the flat, it's not all fresh air, you know, three or four pounds out of the DGR. So you can't really compare it much to like, if you had an old 60 series or a cat or something like that. So, uh, okay. Yes. The, the boost gauge is a little weird to look at on those, but it sounds like you're about where you're at. You just sound like you're a little underpowered. That's all. All right. Well, it, did did you say you're pulling two hundred and fifty thousand? Yes. Why, if you're pulling two hundred and fifty thousand pounds, why didn't you build a truck and put a, a K series nineteen eighter K series Cummins in it or a C eighteen Cat? Because I'm trying to buy a new truck. This is a company truck. This is a used truck that somebody else had bought, and the owner got ill, and we ended up with it. And we're still trying to figure it out. Like I said, this is this is this will be my second trip with it, and we'll be grossing about two hundred thousand. So we'll we'll see what, what rear gears are in it. 
Which gears are in it? Four, four tens. Yeah. All right. So next question is, at your highway speed, are you above 1,400 RPM? At highway speed, we're right around 15. Yes, and the ECM cuts you back at 1,400. So That's it's imperative that we imperative that we do a tune on that engine and I would get those four tens out of there and put three seventies in it. I'd, I'd get that RPM down to run at three seventies we just um the older trucks, I don't know about this one, but at three seventies we discovered that it's too fast. We can't pull the hill. Quite here's the deal. The newer engines want to be at lower RPMs. So when the ECM is cutting you back, forget RPM. You got to go with what the engine was built to run at what RPM range. And that's so, that's one of the reasons I'm calling. I don't know a thing about these yeah. new engines because I've been driving older trucks with you know like ISX. Yeah, and, and these those, newer those, engines those wanted some RPMs. Yeah, these newer engines don't make any noise, and so it's hard to even tell they're working. And it's, uh, it's kind of like driving a motorhome; you don't hear the engine back there. So you do hear it out front, but but you don't you don't feel the roar and you don't feel the power coming on like you did on the old engines. Yep, that's why if I was going to do heavy haul, I'd have a QSK in a truck. That's what I would have, or a C eighteen cat. That was going to be that kind of weight. I I would build the truck to do the job. Yeah, well, this is a this is now a fleet truck, so it we 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 were looking for trucks, and this is what we found. And now we got to should have called us. We should have called one, called me, and we would have talked to you about building one. So, okay. All right. Well, that's all I got for you guys today. Appreciate the information. All right. Give us a call, and we'll get you to one of our remote tuners, and we'll help that, okay? Let's go to Montana this time. Chad, welcome to the program. Hey, good morning, guys. I've got a 2015 X15 CM2350. Uh, Right at the moment, I'm in a level 2 D rate, and I think the main culprit is the, uh, the turbo actuator code that's showing. First of all, I'm wondering if that would cause the emissions issue uh, on the SCR DPF side and the D rate. Are you running the max mileage catalyst? Yeah, Bruce, I have. Yeah, I buy by the five gallon bucket. I've run it since it came out. Wow. Surprise your head. This is that Ed Frock. This is that truck that Ed Frock looked at for, for me, Bruce. And you guys went through it, did the diesel force cleaning. It's got JRs. Oh, in it. okay. Um, yeah. yeah. Okay. I'll let Leroy answer this one. Okay. So you said you have an SCR fault in your dash, and you also have turbo actuator fault? Yep. That's the top one that's showing is on the engine side, the turbo actuator fault. Okay. You know. And. Okay. Good. I could give them to you, but I can also feel it in the foot feet. As that actual as that VGT is adjusting a little bit, you know, I'll be down on boost pressure, and when it adjusts, I can I can feel it kick in even with the D rate. So it feels like something's sticking over there, acting up on that actuator. Well, that definitely could be happening. So as far as the that D rate strategy, 
when it becomes when it comes to like a turbo or actuator issue, um, if it recognizes it and decides that it needs to derate, it usually does it right away. Um, it doesn't have like a step like two hour derate or one hour or four hours or something like that. That's usually the inducement part of it, which is the depth system or SCR. So I don't know exactly all the specifics, but it sounds like maybe you have multiple derates happening at once. Okay. And yeah, you could have like the turbo activator cause the SCR fault, depending on what it is. If it's something like, um, like it can't build exhaust temp to keep the SCR warm, that could be because the turbo is sticking. Uh, but it okay. kind of might have two separate issues. They may be causing each other, one may be causing the other, but it's hard to say without looking at it. Right, right. Yeah, I've just got the codes off the Peterbilt side here, so I'd, um, not the Cummins side for their codes. But So I have two questions then after that. If I shut this truck off, will it start again? Will that be an issue? Yeah, so, so okay. you're still in, what, two hours or something like that? Uh, it says, no, it's past the two hours, says level two engine D-rate, seek service immediately now. There's no more timer going. No, oh, there's no more timer? Um, no. Not quite sure uh, on that one. I, I, I hey, well, we can, it, no, we can skip that one because the next yeah. thing is if they have a, if they've got the turbo actuator, here in town, I'll pick one up and uh, take it home with me. I know it needs to be calibrated afterwards. Can I yeah. drive it after I install it before I calibrate it at all, just to get to a shop? You probably could get away with it. It's recommended that you don't, but you probably could get away with it. Um, I wouldn't put it okay. under any load. Uh, depending on where it wants to find itself, you don't want to put it in a position where it's been like you know, 160,000 RPM or the shaft or something. So I think if you just bought okay. that, it would probably be fine. Yeah, it would, it would be empty and it'd be, a, it'd be about a 45-mile trip to get it calibrated. Yeah, I think you would be fine. Okay. Okay, well, that's what I'm, I guess that's what I need to know today. So thanks for your help. You're welcome. Yeah, no thanks for the call. Let's roll right over to Colorado. Don, welcome to the program. Good morning, gentlemen. I'm not a truck driver, but I have a smaller engine question for you. I have a Ford 03 E450 7.3 diesel. Uh, it's a retired ambulance that I bought it and was rather exuberant about buying it. Had all the fluids flushed, uh, including the coolant. And after all the work was done, it was done at a chain store or chain mechanic type deal. I noticed that oil was in the coolant. I changed the coolant recovery tank or the degas. Um, oil was still showing up. I took it to another shop. They uh, also pressurized the oil cooler didn't find any leaks there flushed the uh, coolant about six or seven times and they said that 
it needed to have the injector cups replaced. That has been done. Um, they said to come back after it's due for an oil change to flush it, do an oil change. But that oil is still showing up in the cooling. I'm wondering if we actually got the problem or if it still remains. Thanks. We, so have, a, we have an item called thorough flush that we use to flush out those systems when we get oil in. And it, it takes a lot to get all the oil out of a cooling system. Hey, Bruce, we are we... try our thorough flush. Since they're looking at injector cups, are we looking at oil in there or fuel? Man, I, I don't know why they said injector cups. I was wondering that myself. So the 7.3s had oil coolers on them. And I remember years ago when we did work on the 6.9s and 7.3s that occasionally an oil cooler would go bad, just like on a big truck. Generally, if you get oil in the coolant, it's an oil cooler. Right. If injector when they were working on it, fuel in the coolant. When they were working on it, they were about to replace the oil cooler and noticed that it had already been replaced because it was a lot newer part than the engine's got only 54,000 miles on it. How many what year was it again? It's an 03 Ford E450 with 54,000 miles. How many miles is on the oil that's in it right now? Uh, probably less than 200. Oh, yeah, it's we're not going to be able to tell anything. And it's still and it's still showing up in the in the coolant. Well, oh, so you can physically see it? Yes. I see it in the recovery tank. I've not pulled the So one of the things I would do, because Bruce is right, once you get a contaminant in that system, it's hard to get out. So you don't want to keep chasing a problem that's already been fixed. I think this was, if they changed the injector cups, that was probably fuel in there, not coolant. I would do an oil sample on, not an oil sample, I'm sorry, I would do a coolant sample. And they can tell us then whether that's oil or diesel fuel. If it's diesel fuel and they replace the injectors, you've probably solved the problem. Now it's just a matter of getting the system cleaned out. Okay. Tell you what else I want you to do is call our shop, ask for Eric Moser. He's a Ford expert. And he knows a lot about the power stroke. Eric Moser. Okay. So when you get off this phone, call the shop. Do you know the number? I will find it. 724-360-4080. And ask for Eric. And leave him a message. Tell him that Bruce told you to call him. Oh, great. I appreciate the help. Thank you so much. Now, he's such a diehard poor guy. His firstborn son's middle name is Ford. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's uh, that's a little hardcore. Yeah, uh, 
Check that out. Give us a call back. Let us know what this turns out to be. I'd be interested. Let's go to Arizona. Leo, welcome to the program. Oh, hi there. Hey, Kevin. I was talking with you about three weeks ago, maybe, about my truck. It's a glider kit, a pizza build with a Detroit engine. I don't know if you remember. Yeah, I remember. Somebody. Okay. Okay, fine. that. I uh, changed the tune, bit uh, power tune. So the truck is running great, but uh, I got good fuel economy, uh, but I still have a heating problem a little bit. The guy called uh, temp problem. Yes. Okay. I uh, I did the I did, you, I did a review soon. Hold on. And you have the stock radiator in there. Yes, I do. The stock one. Okay. And let me let me give you some numbers. Are you driving right now? Uh, no, I'm not driving by stock. Okay. But this is a three seventy nine, right? No, it's a three eighty six. Three eighty six. Okay. Yeah, it's right. I can give you. I can give you some specs, and you can think about these. They're going to be the specs that's in my head. It's for a three eight three seventy nine. On a on a sixty series Detroit, they seem to go with the smallest radiator available. And on a three seventy nine, they have a hundred and seventy seven tubes. If it had a five fifty cat, it would have two hundred and thirty four tubes. If you put our radiator in, it has 400 tubes. So it's over twice the amount of tubes. Plus, we put in two more fins per inch because the fins carry the heat away. Plus, we use a dimpled tube, which slows the coolant flow down and makes it stay in the rad longer and makes the coolant touch the side of the tube. And you should give, get, get your radiator part number and call um, either Craig or Curtis at our facility, and let's see what our radiator for that 386 would be compared to what you have. Okay, the the guy who did the tune told me the same thing, you know, because uh, 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 he told me I need a, a, a better radiator. Mine is mm-hmm. a two-row radiator. But I have no idea how many tubes. And then, if there is no such thing as a bigger radiator, no, then we go to the... Capacity. Okay, right. And then, if, if there isn't, then we go to the auxiliary coolant tank that I've talked about many times. So, okay. Okay. And another question. I have that tune, but I still have the original uh, turbo. No. Is it a D-Deck 4? It's a D-Deck 3. D-Deck 3? No, that turbo's not so bad. It's not wastegated, right? Uh, no. Okay. You're, you're okay with that turbo. And then whenever that turbo finally wears out, put our turbo on it. But that, that D-Deck 3 turbo's not bad. The D-Deck 4 is really small. Oh, okay. And I have, a, like, a, the fuel economy with the tune that you guys put me in, uh, going uh, 60 miles per hour, I have a 13 speed, you know, of 40, 
40,000 pounds in the in the trailer, and I got 8.3 for the last 1,500 miles. Good. What's your turbo boost on the level? Oh, uh, it's really low. About maybe on the low, under 10, maybe 5 around there. The maximum Good. that I get Good. is 31, but I'm trying to keep it low. Because uh, yeah, well, you, you can use your power to go up the hill. You just have to uh, be light footed on the level. You make yeah, but fuel mileage on the level. The, but the only thing is when I'm in uh, New Mexico and Arizona, because of the heat, I have to keep it down. Yeah, because uh, it's going to. Right. So let's get the better radiator in or, or the auxiliary tank. Okay, I, I will do that. I'm gonna call you guys, find out the fast number that I have on my truck, and we're gonna figure out from there. All right, sounds good. Thanks for the call. Let's head off to Montana. Dave, welcome to the program. Hi there, Kevin. How are you guys? Good. What's on your mind today? Good. I got. Seven, no, just about eight hundred thousand on two thousand sixteen Freightliner DD fifteen. I know my one box is coming up. I had a few codes earlier this winter, so I ordered one, and it actually came in. And now I have an opportunity to purchase this thing. Should I just purchase it and put it on the shelf? It's just about twelve thousand dollars for this part, so I'm a little leery of having that kind of money to sit on the shelf in my shop. Yeah, you don't got much time left in that thing anyway, so it's probably not a bad bad idea just to have one, especially with all the supply stuff going on. Because I've seen people wait six months to try to get one. So I'd probably put it on now before it gives you any problems. You might well, find that you're thing. stranded someplace because mm-hmm. of you're on borrowed time at eight hundred thousand miles on a one box. So I would get it, put it on, and be done with it. It kind of is preventive preventative maintenance. Okay. That's good, then. Then I will go get it this afternoon, at least. And get it scheduled in. So, okay. Well, that's all I had. All right. Sounds like a plan. Let's head over to Oklahoma. Joe, welcome to the program. Hey, thanks for taking my call, Kevin. Uh, Yeah, I've got a 2008 Peterbilt uh, with a cat. I was watching all these videos about how it you know, that new fuel and all that. And I used to run clean fire. I'm just wondering what your opinion was of that. The of fuel what? additive. I'm not familiar it adds with oil and Oh, it's a small place. And it's just a little bitty tiny thing. You just put a little bit dabble in your tank. It's 350, four times a year. I don't know. I'm just worried about since it's an old truck, it doesn't have any of that DEF or anything like that, and they change that fuel. And I don't even know what all that 500 stuff means. They go 500 parts through something. I don't even know what all that means, but I know it's dry fuel, right? Uh, well, yes and no. They've they've taken, you know, um, oh, what, 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 what do they measure in now? I just drew a blank on what they measure in the fuel. Um Sulfur they got all these signs yeah. up. I don't know what it all means, yeah. but low, low sulfur. Signs up. That's what it is. It's low sulfur, then ultra low sulfur. 
but we're also building parts oh. and pumps and injectors that are designed for that fuel now on the newer trucks. Um, you know, the, I don't think there's anything wrong with throwing some injector cleaner or system cleaner in a couple times a year. Um, you know, there's, I, I don't believe claims of additives that improve fuel economy other than maybe cleaning the system and bringing it back to, you know, the way it should be working. What, what are the claims? Cause I, again, I'm not familiar with this product. What is the product claim? That the main, the main thing I was, the main, the main thing I was worried about was uh, was that fuel being dry, and I, I, for the longest time I ran house thinking that would oil up my system because of the deep, because of the deep new fuel. Everybody was saying run house. And I found out house has very little oil. Then I found out about this clean fire guy, and uh, it's a small company. There, they said they were at the show. I tried to get to the show, I couldn't make it. But, uh, essentially, what it does is it puts the oil back in your truck. Let me ask you a question: When you when you put when you put the clean fire on your fingers and you rub it, does it feel like oil? I don't remember. It's been eight years since I used it, but I believe I believe I I, I believe. If you want to put lubricity in, put put Lucas, put Lucas injector cleaner in for lubricity. That is the best lubricity there is. It has a very expensive polymer in it. And also in that 2008 cat that was an SDP, and that was a tough engine for Caterpillar, run the max mileage fuel-borne catalyst to clean that thing out because when that did have all the stuff on it, it, it was really gathering a lot of soot in the intake and on the head and in the pistons and the exhaust valves, so. With the max mileage fuel borne catalyst along with the Lucas. Every time you fuel Lucas? If you put a little bit in, I mean, one gallon treats 400 gallon in the Lucas. Wow, oh, I didn't even know they had that. And what, what did you call the other thing, a catalyst? The max mileage fuel borne catalyst. That's our product. That was invented by Dr. Jane Gates. In fact, she's on her way here right now. So is that, is that on go on our website and look at look at our and read the testimonials on it. Uh, huh, I delivered okay, well, some this afternoon to a guy that races outboards because he heard about what it does to an outboard engine. Well, I'm going to be stopping in y'all's shop there in Pittsburgh one day. <laughs> okay, <laughs> thank you. Come on in and get an education. <laughs> thank you. All right, thanks for the call. Thank- all right, that's going to wrap up the calls for today. Bruce, Pete, Leroy, anybody have anything they want to close with? No, I don't. No. All right. We're we're making more videos. We keep putting more information on our website. A lot of these questions can be answered on the website. Educate yourself. Read our old articles. Watch our videos. Read what's going on on the website. Excellent. I agree. Help yourself. I agree. I love the uh, back to the basic stuff you've been putting on truckingtribe.com. All right. We're going to wrap this up for today. I will see you back here tomorrow for Destination Health and also After Hours with Kevin and Lauren. We'll see you then. Be safe. Be profitable. Be fit and healthy. Always. 
do the hard work and master the journey.